Good evening, church. How are you doing this evening? How are we doing this evening? There we go. There we go. Some of you uh, are experiencing the beginnings of Miami summer. You may have just moved here a couple months ago, maybe six months ago, and you thought, is this how it always is? Because for about eight to ten months of the year, eight months of the year, uh, it's paradise on earth, weather-wise. And now we are moving into uh, the, the part of the summer where I say, I don't say it's hot, I don't want to complain about it, I just want to say you have to be near water, okay? You have to move fast when you're outside. So you have to get, listen to that music, move fast, and run because it's getting hot, it's getting humid, kind of like an oven. Anyone else resonate with that? You feel it, you feel it. But we're near the water on Brickle, we have the breeze, we're in an amazing p- part of our city, and we're glad that you're here to worship with us, those of you in the room and those of you online. So happy that you've come to, to worship, to sing, to pray, to give, to receive from God's word. And tonight we are moving into episode four of our series, as you saw in the video, entitled The Race. This is a, a series where we're tracing the life of the Apostle Paul through the book of Acts. And tonight we are going to be in what chapter? What do you think? Chapter nine. This is our fourth week in chapter nine. We have been here the entire time in this series. And this is our last week here in this chapter. There's so much. And we want to go verse by verse. We want to be careful as we trace the Apostle Paul's life. So if you were with us last week, you know where we left off. We left off with the Apostle Paul. This is post his conversion in Damascus. He's come to faith in Jesus. He's been healed of his blindness. And he goes immediately into the synagogues and begins to proclaim the name of Jesus. What he's doing in there, in fact, is he's sharing his story, his story of going to Damascus, ready to imprison Christians. He meets the resurrected Savior, and then he is forever changed, and he begins to proclaim Jesus as Messiah. And people are astonished because they know his story, and he's sharing it. And then many people, it says, begin to come to faith in Christ. They see Jesus as the Christ. So we're going to pick up right after that in, ver- in chapter 9, starting in verse 23. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Or as Simone shared, if you have the Crossbridge Brickle app, you can click on the notes section. Follow the passage there as well as some additional notes. But we're going to read verse 23 through 28 as we're going to see Paul in his race, this race of faith that he is running, encounter hurdles, obstacles. Here's what God's word says to us. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, that is, Paul. But their plot became known to Saul. Remember, Saul and Paul are the same person. He has not changed his name yet. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he had attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Man, after we did that lesson last week, we crushed it tonight. Great job, guys. So here is what is taking place. The Apostle Paul encounters his first hurdles. Now, 
One of the things that we're going to explore and we're going to see, and if this is a shock to you, this is good for you to hear. The Christian life is not a life free of obstacles and suffering. Do you know that? You come to faith in Jesus and is not the abandonment of suffering. In fact, there's an invitation to carry suffering. We're going to see this explored here in the passage. And the Apostle Paul, whose life is a model for us in many ways of how we are to run the Christian faith. He is running. Things are going well. He's come to faith. He's on fire. He's just passionate to share and proclaim Jesus. He's sharing his story. God is using him. People are coming to faith. But now he encounters a hurdle. The first hurdle is here in Damascus. That's where he has been there for several days. Things are going well, but the Jews, it says, have plotted to kill him. See, the Jews do not want Paul with this profound story to begin leading other Jewish people and others to faith in Jesus. So he is a threat. They want to remove him. Now, there's even more details there that I want to share with you because I think it's really helpful. It says this in 2 Corinthians. So here it just says that the Jews plot to kill him. Saul knows about it. The disciples, which means the church. Disciple here is not the office of disciple. It is a follower of Jesus. So all of the followers of Jesus in Damascus, they help him escape out of the wall of the city into safety. So in Galatians, the Apostle Paul recounts this story or this event. And he says this in verse 32. At Damascus... The governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Now here's why I wanted to bring that passage up to give some more context to what's taking place. In Acts, Luke says the Jews have plotted to kill him. Then Paul says in 2 Corinthians that it was in fact the king, King Aretas, and his governor in the city that had put guards outside of the gates to seize him and kill him. Which means it's not only the Jews that want to kill him, it is also the, uh, the empire that he is a part of, where he is in Damascus. Now, Damascus at this point in history is not a part of the Roman Empire. Okay, this is a part of a different kingdom called the Nabataean Kingdom. This is a kingdom that comprised of Arabia, so modern-day uh, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Iraq, Jordan, the countries on the Arabian Peninsula. This is the Nabataean Empire. And also it's important to know, this is pre-Islamic. So Islam is not a religion. This, Islam doesn't become a religion until about the 7th century. So several hundred years from this moment in history. So Paul is in Damascus, which is run by this king, King Aretas. It's a different empire. And this king is also colluding with the Jews. They're in on it together to seize Paul and kill him. Now, here's why I'm sharing that with you and giving you that little history lesson of what's taking place. Because there's a connection being made here that's very interesting. The Jews in Damascus are functioning in a very similar way to how they functioned in Jerusalem several years prior. The Jews in Damascus are conspiring with a foreign power a foreign oppressor, to come to terms and come together in an agreement to take someone's life who is a threat to the Jewish faith. In this case in Damascus, it's Paul who's proclaiming the name of Jesus. What happened a few years prior in Jerusalem? The Jews conspired with a foreign power and oppressor, the Roman Empire, and Pilate to end the life of who? 
Jesus. And they conspire, they work together, and Jesus, his life is taken from him. Different result for Paul than the apost- than, than Jesus, but a very similar connection here. You see, the Apostle Paul, he escapes losing his life because the church and the believers in Damascus help him escape. But Jesus, as we know, lays down his life. He gives his life away for our sake. The reason that I want you to see this is because it shows you something about your race, the race of faith that you are to run, which is the same as the Apostle Paul. And that is, your race is connected to Jesus' race. It is connected to Jesus' race. That is why how I mentioned at the very beginning that the Christian life is not a life where you are just no longer going to experience suffering. It's all gone. Everything's great. You can smile all the time. Everything's okay because now you believe in Jesus and all your problems go away. That is not true. In fact, what does Jesus say? He says that if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself and take up your what? Cross. If you want to follow Jesus... You have to follow in a similar trajectory that he went along. His race is going to be connected to your race. You're going to carry the emblem of suffering, which is what Jesus carried for our salvation and redemption. So your race is connected to Jesus, and you're going to carry this emblem of suffering because there will be obstacles and hurdles in your life. And you're like, that doesn't sound great. Not a good sales pitch for Christianity. But Jesus says something else. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. See, Jesus is painting this picture of what our life is going to be like, what it means to follow Jesus. It means that when you come to faith in Jesus who gave his life for you, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. Your race is connected to Jesus' race. It's very similar. And in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart. Don't be despairing. Don't get down. Don't allow the world to press upon you. There is hope because Jesus has overcome the world. See, you identify with Jesus in his death and in his suffering, but also in his resurrection. Your race is connected to his. You will have hurdles. You will have suffering. You will have trouble. But Jesus has overcome, and so will you. That is the promise. This happens with the Apostle Paul here who has this very interesting connection to Jesus' race where the Jews are functioning in a very similar way with him because he's proclaiming Jesus' name as they did three years ago, three or four years ago in Damascus or in Jerusalem. There will be suffering. There will be hurdles. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Your race is connected to Jesus' race. But secondly, and this is what we're going to explore tonight, your race will be full of hurdles. This is what we see here. There's two major hurdles, and there's a third that happens later in the passage that we're not going to deal with. Two major hurdles that take place here. The first hurdle is in verse 23 through 25, and then the second hurdle is in verse 26. But I want us to see two things. Hurdles can cause two things. The first one is that hurdles cause a slight adjustment to your pace. If you have two people in a a 100-yard dash and they are running from the starting line to the finish line, if one person, they're both, if they have equal speed, okay, the person that has no hurdles in their race will finish before the person that has the hurdles. Equal speed, same thing, but if you have an obstacle, it's going to cause you to adjust a little bit 
to you know, affect your stride. I've never done hurdles. I'm terrified to run over and jump over the hurdles. I don't understand that. So, but you're going to have to adjust your stride. You're going to have to lift off the ground. You have to lift your leg. You have to clear it just enough. It, there's a lot of technical things you have to do, but your pace is going to be slightly slowed because you're going to have to adjust to get over the hurdle. Hurdles cause a slight adjustment. That is what happens here, actually. The Apostle Paul, he's in Damascus. He faces a hurdle, but it's only a slight adjustment. See, you're like, well, it doesn't seem like a slight adjustment. Everybody there wanted to kill him, and he was let out of a window in a basket, and he had to leave the city. That seems like a, a big adjustment. But I'm saying it's a slight adjustment because Damascus is not the Apostle Paul's hometown. He's only been there for several days. He doesn't live there. He had no intention of staying there long term. Yes, it had to have been like a lot of anxiety ridden to know that the whole city wants to kill you. That's you know, difficult, but he's let out and he's able to go off on his way. There's no bodily effect to him. He's able to continue on in his race. It's a slight adjustment. But hurdles can cause something else. Here's the second thing. Crash and burn. This is what, hap what would happen if most of us went to go run hurdles right now, okay? Some of you are like, no, not me. No, I think so because I have seen too many fail compilations on YouTube of people that train in hurdles and I see what happens. If you don't adjust the right way and you clip the hurdle, what happens? Crash and burn. You fall to the ground. You face plant. Oftentimes, I just watched a couple of them this week. I got inspired to watch some fail compilations of hurdles. You see people do the scorpion. Do you know what that is? That's where you, you hit your face and your, your legs arch over your back like your legs are trying to sting somebody in front of you. That's what happens when you crash and burn on a hurdle. You know what I'm saying? That's the scorpion right there. You're bruised, you're slowed, you fall to the ground, you're burned as you scrape along the ground, crash and burn. So hurdles can cause two things, slight adjustment, but you keep going. Or crash and burn where you fall, bruised, battered, broken. Two things. And the second one is what happens in verse 26. Here's what verse 26 says to us. So right after the Apostle Paul is let out of the window in a basket, he leaves the city, his life is saved. It says this, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Okay, pause. We're going to get to what's happening in Jerusalem, but there's another important detail for you to understand to get the context of why this is a crash and burn situation, why this is such a painful hurdle for the Apostle Paul. When you read this passage here, it seems like he gets in the basket, he's let out of the window in Damascus, he leaves Damascus and goes straight to Jerusalem. That's how it reads. But that's not what happens. See, actually between verse 25 and 26, there's three years. You're like, why doesn't, he, why doesn't Luke, the author of Acts, tell us that there's three years in between here? Because Luke is dealing with certain moments of history to share the acts of the apostles. This book called Acts is about what the apostles did. It's often called also Acts of the Apostles, the book. So he's skipping this section here because he wants to highlight other things and he can't write every single thing that the disciples, the apostles did. But the apostle Paul tells us in the book of Galatians what he did between verse 25 and 26. He says that when he left Damascus, 
he went into the Arabian Peninsula, the Nabataean Empire, and he spent three years there doing ministry, sharing about Jesus as a, as a missionary, that he just felt called by Jesus to go do that. See, he tells us that when he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, he's given a very specific calling to go proclaim Jesus to non-Jews, to Gentiles, Greeks. So he goes after Damascus into what is modern-day Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Iraq, Yemen. He probably travels all around there for three years doing ministry, and God uses his ministry in powerful ways. And after three years, he decides to go back for the first time to Jerusalem since he left three years prior. When he left three years ago, he was going from Jerusalem to Damascus so that he could imprison Christians, so that he could bring them up on trial and see them killed. But he met Jesus on that road, and his life was forever changed. And he went and spent three years in what is the Arabian Peninsula, ministering to people, sharing his story, talking about Jesus, seeing people come to faith. And now he's ready to go back to Jerusalem for the first time. He comes back to Jerusalem, and he knows as he's coming in that he, all of his friends he had three years ago, they're done. He's not going to be able to be friends with them anymore because he has come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. In fact, he probably is suspicious that they'll want to kill him, which we read later in Acts chapter 9 that they, in fact, do want to kill him. And he has to leave Jerusalem as well. So he knows this, but I imagine him thinking as he's heading into Jerusalem, it's okay that I'm losing all of my old friends because I have new friends. I have a new family. I have a new community. I have the church in Jerusalem. This is where the seat of power and authority is in the church at this stage of its life. Because Peter is there, and James is there, and the other apostles are there. And I can imagine Paul as he's walking towards Jerusalem thinking, I, I can't wait to meet Peter and James and the other apostles and to hear the stories about the three years they spent with Jesus. I want to learn from them. I want to hear their stories. I want to get to know the Christians in Jerusalem that are part of the church. And when he gets there, it says he attempts to join the disciples the followers of Jesus, the church. He attempts to join the church, and they want nothing to do with him. They outcast him. They restrict him from their presence. They label him. And they go as far to say that they don't even believe that he's a disciple, meaning they don't even believe that he believes in Jesus. He's not a follower. Imagine how that felt for Paul. He had this incredible experience with Jesus. His life was forever changed. God used him in Damascus. The church there in Damascus loved him and saved his life. And then he went and did three years of missionary work. And God used him in amazing ways. And now he goes to Peter and James and the church in Jerusalem. And they want nothing to do with him. In fact, they doubt that he's even a Christian. That's a major hurdle. That's painful. That's crash and burn, face plant, bruised. His pace is certainly slowed because if the church in Jerusalem does not believe that Paul is not only an apostle, but that he's not even a believer in Jesus, he will have no credibility. He will have no authority to be a part of the work of the church in the rest of the Roman Empire. Imagine how that felt. Painful. And it says this in verse 27. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Crash and burn hurdle. Hurtful, painful, bruised, slowed, on the ground. But then we read two very powerful words. The very first two words of verse 27. But Barnabas. But Barnabas. His name means son of compassion or encouragement. He lives out of his name. Barnabas has eyes to see Paul in his pain. He has a heart to feel for Paul in the restriction, the outcasting, the labeling that he has received unfairly. He sees him. He feels for him. And then he learns about his story. See, remember, the Apostle Paul has not been to Jerusalem yet. Barnabas has probably never had a conversation with Paul until this moment where before Barnabas brings Paul to the apostles, it's very clear that Barnabas has spent time with Paul getting to know his story because he then takes Paul to the disciples, to Peter and James. We read later, it's Peter and James that Paul stands before and Barnabas speaks on Paul's behalf. He says, I know his story. I know what happened on the road to Damascus. He met the Lord and then God used him in incredible ways at Damascus. He advocates for him as a disciple, as a follower of Christ and as an apostle himself. And then the result from this sole act is that he can go in and out of Jerusalem preaching the name of Jesus. Meaning he's given authority, he's invited into the family of God, and he's commissioned on his race to run. Can you imagine what would have happened if Paul never met Barnabas and Barnabas never saw him and felt for him and advocated for him? The Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He's the greatest church planner in the history of the world. God used him in incredible ways. His story, a big part of his story is but Barnabas. But Barnabas saw him, felt for him, and advocated for him. Changed everything for Paul. See, these are the three things I want us to see about Barnabas. He sees him in his need. He feels for him. He has a heart of compassion. It's not just about seeing someone that is outcasted or is labeled or is hurting or who has crashed and burned. It's also about feeling for them, having a heart of compassion in their pain, in their struggle, in their hurdle. But then it moves to the third thing. It moves to action. And he advocates for him. And he advocates for him in two ways. One, he learns his story. He spends time talking with him and learning from him. And then he does what is necessary for Paul to run his race. See, it's not the same for everyone. But for Paul, Paul needed Barnabas, who also had authority and weight in the church and its leadership, to advocate for him so that Paul could fulfill the mission that Jesus gave him. So he does that. He takes him to the apostles and he advocates for him. And it changes everything for Paul. He sees him, he feels for him, and he advocates for him. And I want to ask you a question. I want you to consider this. How many people do you think feel like Paul? 
They have faced similar interactions in the church with church leaders, with Christians, or they're currently facing similar things where they feel called by Jesus, they believe in Jesus, they have a genuine faith, they want to run the race of faith well, but their past is affecting their ability to do so. Their past is causing a hurdle. People doubt them, people reject them, people question them. They can't forgive their mistakes. They can't let go of shame. These, their past and what they've done prior is ever before them because the, the church in Jerusalem doesn't believe that Paul is an actual believer in Jesus, let alone an apostle because of his past, because of who he was before. How many people feel like that? They feel the same way. How many people have been rejected by church and church leadership? How many people have been labeled or overlooked? How many people have been doubted or outcasted? You know what the answer is? A lot. It's a lot. Many of you in this room feel that way. You've had experiences. I want to say something very clearly. Church hurt and church pain is real. It's real. We try to gloss it over. And, no, it's real because we are broken people. And the church is full of broken people. It's a hospital for broken people with a lot of hurdles. And sometimes we put hurdles in front of people and we cause them to fall. It's hard. And here's the thing I was thinking this week. Church hurt is real. And there are a lot of people that have fallen over that hurdle of being outcasted, being labeled, being rejected, being limited. They've had bad interactions with church and church leaders, but they never had a Barnabas. And they're stuck. The reason I know that this is the case in churches all across America, I'm a, you probably already know this, but I'm going to pull you guys behind the curtain a little bit. In every church, now make, that's a drastic statement, but it's probably true. In almost every church, there are common concerns. Okay, leadership in almost every church is asking the same questions. They're asking, why won't people volunteer? They're asking, why do people not want to become members? Why will people not prioritize Sunday worship? Why do so many people stay on the fringes and never move into the center of the community and engage? These questions are being asked in every church. And you know what the response and the thought, I believe, of most church leaders and pastors, and I'm guilty of this too. The response is often this. It's because there's a lot of immature people in their faith. There's a lot of people that are weak in their faith. They have idols in their life. Jesus isn't a priority. It's all about them. They're weak, they're immature, we, you know, and sometimes church will say, well, we need to do a better job discipling them and teaching them, because it's very clear in scripture that we're to commit to the church, we're to volunteer and to serve, that we're to prioritize the, the gathering on Sundays, that we're to move from the fringe to the center. These things are very clear in scripture, so it, it's on us to help them in their weak and immature faith understand these things, and then engage in those ways. Oftentimes, that's what we think, and then we try to program around that to try to facilitate that. The thing I was thinking this week is how many people just feel like Paul? The reason they're not volunteering, the reason they have a hard time prioritizing Sunday worship, the reason that they stay on the fringe 
is because in the past, they have been rejected, they have been outcasted, they have been labeled, they have been restricted. They have pain and they have trauma and they have wounds and they have crashed and burned over a hurdle and they never had a Barnabas help see them, feel for them, advocate them. And so they're stuck there trying to get up but bruised and broken and battered and doing their best because they believe in Jesus and they want to run the race well. And so they engage as much as they can. But until they have a Barnabas in their life that sees them and feels for them and advocates for them, it's going to be slow moving. I think there's a lot of people like that. I want to say this. I want this church, I want this church to be a place where people can come and say, you know what, let me tell you my story. I have been rejected. I have been outcasted. I have been unfairly labeled. I have hurt and pain in the past. But Justin. But Michael. But Lisa, but Debbie, but Daniel, but Shaz, but Christian, but Brenton. That is how people respond. That people saw me, they felt for me, they advocated for me, they wanted to know my story. And they did what was necessary to help pick me up and move me forward. I want people to come to this church and part of their story is but Crossbridge Brickle. But Crossbridge Brickle. You know, there's something that's amazing here in this story. The Apostle Paul, as he very clearly shares with us that we're not to run the race of faith alone. Obviously, that's very clear. Very true, because the Apostle Paul could not run his race without Barnabas. If there's no but Barnabas in this, his story, there's no Apostle Paul. We know very little of him. Probably we'll have no recollection of him. But Barnabas, you're not to run the race of faith, the race of faith alone. Everyone in this room needs a Barnabas to see them and feel for them and advocate for them. And the result is this. Look what it says in verse 31. Right after this, it says in verse 31, So the church together all through Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church was at peace and it multiplied. Because of the way that the Spirit was moving in people like Barnabas to see and feel and advocate for others and to help push them on their path and their race so that the church ran together and it multiplied. And the reason that we should be a church that's known for seeing and feeling and advocating for people, that people would say, but Crossbridge Brickle is because every one of us in this story that believes in Jesus, here's how our story goes. Here's how, who I was. Here's who I thought. Here's how I lived. But Jesus, he saw me. He had a heart of compassion for me. And he advocated for me. You see, the very God of the universe looked at you and me in our sin, in our brokenness, in our crash and burn hurdle of just the mess that we make of life. In our sin. He saw us and he felt for us and he advocated, meaning Jesus came from the throne of heaven. He came down to earth and he gave his life away. 
He gave us the very thing we need, which was the, his life, his perfect life, sacrifice on the cross, and then the victory of his resurrection so that we could run our race connected to him, that in this world we would have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But Jesus. That's the way you share your story. Last week we talked about sharing our stories to people. That should be the part of, that should be the turning point in every one of our stories. But Jesus. And the reason that I want to be that type of person for somebody else is because the very God of the universe was that for me. So I want to see people in their need. I want to feel for them in their pain. And I want to advocate for them in the way that they need. Would we be that type of church? Amen? Will you pray with me? God, we come before you and we confess that oftentimes we put hurdles uh, before you for your people that we should not. We un unfairly judge. God, I pray that you would bind wounds tonight. That Holy Spirit, you would be near to people that have pain. That had bad experiences with church, with church leadership, with other Christians. That have felt restricted and outcasted and unfairly labeled. And I pray that you would tonight Build a spirit of unity, Holy Spirit, amongst us so that we might see your name proclaimed to each other, that we might see your name proclaimed in this city, that there might be a multiplication here of people that love one another, that see one another, that feel for one another, that advocate for one another. Lord, would you use each and every one of us in this room, would you use our lives, our stories, and the story of this church to care for people well, to feel for people well. And I pray for anybody right now, God, that struggles with that. Maybe there's someone in this room that has struggled to really believe in you, Jesus, because there's been these hurdles that have been placed. They're seeking faithfully. They have real questions, but there's these hurdles and these wounds of the past. Would you come to them right now? Would you speak to them? Would you warm their heart to your love and your presence that they might know that they are not the label they have received. They are not outcasted by you. They are not restricted by you. In fact, you have given us full access to you, God, through faith in Jesus. Holy Spirit, you have given us full access to the presence of God who is with us in this room. Would we know that? Would we believe that? Would we proclaim that? Minister to our hearts now as we come to your table as a means of grace in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.